Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Welcome back to the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast. I am your host, Andrew Martz, here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Bill McBride. Bill, how are you today? Andrew, I'm phenomenal today. <laughs> it's a usual day. <laughs> it's a usual day. This yeah. is just how you, this is your, your ever, you know, lasting state is, you're phenomenal. I wake up and exude excellence and phenomenalness. <laughs> That's even a word. <laughs> hey, question of the day. Uh, and I am genuinely curious about this. What is the dumbest way you've ever injured yourself? Oh, God. Where do I start? <laughs> I've got an inventory there. Oh, oh quick caveat. Man. This is a G-rated family <laughs> yeah. podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I have to go. Uh, in, well, injured myself. All right. Or, or, or the dumbest way you've ever been injured. <laughs> yeah. My, the tip of my pinky was chopped off when I was about two or three years old. And the story goes, my mom put me on one of those. I was visiting great-grandma Magnus in the hospital or the nursing home or something. And my mom put me on one of those tables that has wheels on it that goes over the bed and the table fell and just chopped the tip of my finger off. And oh. I think yeah. Wait, and do you not have the tip of your pinky? Look, it looks like a toe. Yeah. Oh my. Yeah. I have yeah. known you for what? 10, 15 years. And I had, <laughs> yeah. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. They sewed it. I still got marks where they sewed it back on, but uh, yeah, that was the, my mom felt so bad, I think for the rest of, you know, her life, but uh, it, it works. I can still hit the high notes on the guitar. So, how about you? What was your what was your dumbest injury? Uh, I'm thinking of like just kind of like an embarrassing moment. So I uh, I was in high school. I think I was a junior in high school, and it was after school. A bunch of friends. We were heading to like our our high school basketball team was doing well. So like everybody was going to the basketball game, and at the like inside of the school I tried you know the flights of stairs where it's like you go down 10 steps and then there's a landing and then you go down the other 10 steps to get to the first floor right. well, I tried to hold on to the railing and jump down the entire flight of stairs or half flight of stairs yeah. and wound up hitting <laughs> rolling my ankle uh, pretty badly like almost breaking my ankle in, in doing it but was so concerned about hanging out with my friends that I just kind of like, I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. And just kept, <laughs> kept going and walked on it for like the rest of the night and into the next day and didn't tell anybody like what was going on. Uh, and then that wound up setting me back another two or three months, like an uh, idiot. Yeah, that, well, that's hardcore. <laughs> no all, surprise. You know, all in the effort, like all, if that doesn't show you, the level of like FOMO that I have as a child and probably still into my adulthood. It's like, I didn't care about my body. I just wanted to hang out with my friends. Right. <laughs> Invincible, huh? Well, hey, this Friday, it's going to be a great episode. I just want to talk shop. 
Like, let's just talk some, some investments. And I want to get into the nuts and bolts, but specifically, I want to address the topic of portfolio rebalancing. So this gets widely discussed, not just amongst individual investors, but also financial professionals, and rightly so. It's a really important topic. But before we jump into rebalancing, I think we should discuss, well, what is a balanced portfolio? right? The portfolio's genesis position. If we're rebalancing something, that means at one point it was, in fact, balanced. And I kind of think of it, is it, is it like a well-balanced diet? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, you're, you're, you're probably headed in this direction, Andrew, uh, about the balancing, right? There's balancing stocks versus bonds, but then within those two categories, there's other subcategories, right? Of course. On a very simple, high level, balancing your portfolio means constructing a portfolio that fits your individual risk tolerance and investment goals. So too often, I think investors think about spending, I'm air quoting, which you can't see me, (laughs) this is a podcast, Andrew, (laughs) uh, spending or investing dollars to make dollars, when really I think about spending units of risk to make dollars. And that's when I'm constructing portfolios or when I'm thinking about what's a well-balanced portfolio for me or for a client, that's that's the uh, perspective that I'm taking. Risk in relation to potential reward. But it's not enough just to set it and forget it. You also need to make sure that your portfolio stays balanced, which is known as rebalancing. So what are what are some of the benefits of balancing and rebalancing? Well, balancing your portfolio ensures you have the right mix of investments, usually stocks and bonds, but as you alluded, it could be a variety of things that's going to be appropriate for your specific financial plan. Yeah. And, and- it, it also allows you to maintain your desired level of risk over time, right? So if you buy a stock uh, today, the risk, the riskiness of that stock may change over time, right? So right. without going in and rebalancing and looking at it periodically, and we'll get into the frequency uh, uh, later on in this episode, but but you have to understand that what might be a risky play today would be conservative play years from now, right? So also, portfolios naturally get out of balance as the prices of the investments fluctuate. So just like the risk can go up or down, the price of a stock can go up or down, right? So if a portfolio to get out of balance, for instance, for example, Coca-Cola versus a tech stock, right? If you've got Coca-Cola and Apple in your portfolio, and it's 50-50, and that's your balance that you've set. Well, guess what? Over the course of five years, Apple's going to way outperform, and all of a sudden, Apple is 90% of your portfolio. Right. We'll talk about these things and also something like, when do you rebalance? Well, you can rebalance your portfolio at predetermined intervals, so you know at specific time periods, or when your allocations have deviated from what your ideal portfolio mix when you created it. And, you know, rebalancing can be done a number of ways. It could be done by selling investments and buying other ones. So now you're, you're essentially just moving dollars around, or you can add additional funds, additional capital from another source, right? Say your, your savings account or your checking account or, you know, savings from earnings 
to buy additional stocks or bonds or whatever investment you need to bring it back into to balance. So let's start with what I think is probably the most important question of all of this, which is, well, why is balancing and rebalancing a portfolio so important? Like, why does this even matter to us? And is this something that we should pay attention to as we're going along our investment journey? So as, as we alluded, the purpose of balancing a portfolio, you need to achieve your desired proportions of risk and potential return inside of whatever your portfolio may be, whether it's just an IRA, whether it's just a Roth, your 401k, or maybe you have a combination of all of these different types of accounts. So when you, you first design and commit funds to an investment strategy, that's known as allocating your assets. We also refer to this as your asset allocation. Those words are used interchangeably. So a really simplified example. You may want to have 70% of your portfolio in stocks and 30% of your portfolio in bonds. When you initially invest, when you initially fund your portfolio in this manner, you would be what would we'd probably consider a balanced portfolio, maybe a moderate aggressive type, type investment. And that is going to help you achieve the performance goals that you want, but it's gonna be done in a manner that is within your comfort level, meaning there are certain things in the, in the investment markets that are unpredictable, right? The ups and the downs of the market daily, weekly, monthly, and so on. So you're gonna achieve your desired performance within a range of results that's that still makes you comfortable and allows you to stick with the plan. Yeah, but the problem is with that though, Andrew, that the, the allocations in the portfolio don't stay the same, right? Just by the, the very nature of an investment, um, they're going to have varying degrees of return. So let, let's just say, for example, the stock market's value doubles in five years, while the value of the bond market grows, but not nearly as much. So now the value of the stocks in your portfolio would become much greater as a percentage than the value of the bonds, which puts your portfolio out of balance. So you can and you should rebalance your investment account to maintain that balance over time. If your original risk tolerance spurred you to invest 70% of your money in stocks, then your rebalanced portfolio should reflect that 70%, you know, whether that's, you know, annual or quarterly or, you know, we'll, we'll get into that as well. Right. Right. I think that that's your question is, is a really good one, right? So how often yeah. should we rebalance and how do we know when to, and what are our trigger points? So really, I think there are two main ways portfolios can be rebalanced either at set time points. So maybe you check it quarterly, monthly, annually, or at set allocation points, or what we would refer to as drift ranges. So when your, when your allocation drifts a certain percentage, a lot of times people use things like 5% drifts or 10% drifts, so just a nice round, easy number to track. So re rebalancing by set asset targets is a good way to approach a portfolio rebalancing since markets can change more in some time periods than others, meaning well, let's just look at where we're recording this in uh, the fall of 2021. Let's look at the last year of, of markets, right? They've certainly gone up dramatically, right? If you expand that over the last 18 months since the beginning of, of COVID in March of 2020, uh, we've really seen the, the markets multiply uh, significantly and certain holdings have done really, really well. But does that mean that the markets will do the same thing over the next six, 12, 18 months, not necessarily. So maybe this past year, 
our, our allocation targets triggered a rebalance. But going forward in the next year and a half, there are none. Uh, so, yeah, Andrew, it's a great example uh, this past year because we, what we had was you know a lot of tech stocks outperforming uh, large cap and, and all other asset classes, right? So things got out of balance that way. But I, I remember rebalancing was much more of a catchphrase in the early 2000s prior to 2008. And the reason being was because we always said that stocks and bonds had an inverse relationship. And that's right. why you had both, right? 2008 flipped that on its on its end, right? And, and, and it became uh, a year where both stocks and bonds went down in uh, double digit negative returns. But, you know, th there's there's specific, you know, getting back to the point of the specific times, right? There's specific times that you can rebalance every quarter, start of the year. And there was one study from Vanguard that found that there wasn't any meaningful difference in risk adjusted returns if it was rebalanced monthly, quarterly or annually, especially if you take into account the cost of doing it yourself with transaction fees. For a lot of people, though, it, it makes sense to use the end of the year. I. I love this, Andrew, you know, like I, I, I think quarterly is almost too much, right? Because if, if something's on a run, right, three months, you know, I just, I just love the annual, the annual review and the annual rebalancing, right? Because it gives things a time to, to run and it doesn't give you the propensity to say, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to catch it every three months, right? So, um, it makes sense to use it at the, at the end of the year as a time to examine your financial investments. Look at any potential changes coming in the new year, okay? The downside yep. of rebalancing at set calendar points is that you risk overdoing it. Just because it's on your schedule doesn't mean you necessarily have to rebalance if the asset allocation hasn't fallen outside of your set range. Right? That's right. And, and similar to that Vanguard study that you alluded to, you know, so Vanguard said there was no meaningful difference in, in returns if it was rebalanced monthly, quarterly, or, or annually. Well, multiple studies have correlated the frequency of checking in on one's portfolio with, with market losses over time. Because the more often an investor checks it, the more often they stress about it. How many times have mm -hmm. we seen this? You know, yes. more times they, you know, they freak out about small ups and downs, which any seasoned investor knows is one, normal, and two, healthy. The, this is what the market should do. It's working out fair market value and pricing uh, within the, the greater marketplace. So, you know, people tend to be more likely uh, to pull out their money when they shouldn't. So it's why having that time approach, right? So, hey, whether it's end of year, I, I, I like a combo approach myself. I like to check in quarterly, though I'm not mandated or certainly even encouraged or set the expectation for people that we're going to rebalance quarterly. No, no, no. But I think, hey, let's check in on portfolios. Let's see how things are changing and maturing over time, right? Sometimes a year could be too long to, to wait, but not necessarily. Um, well, well, Andrew, that's a great point, and 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 I and I like what you said about about checking in versus rebalancing, right? Because what you were saying before makes a lot of sense too, and and I think it's it's important for people to hear this. Observance and rebalancing are not synonymous. Right. You you can check in, and you can see that your portfolio is maybe out of balance quarterly. 
it doesn't mean that that's when you have to rebalance, right? You can decide if that's what you're going to do, but just because you're looking at something doesn't mean that you have to take action. And you know, and again, this is one of the biggest mistakes that investors make, right? If you see something, you feel something must be done. The other thing I want to say on ranges, and I actually want to get your opinion on this. So 5% we're saying is kind of this, hey, typical drift range where we'll, we'll trigger to look and potentially rebalance a portfolio. Well, is that in a 50-50 portfolio, a 60-40 portfolio? Because if somebody has a higher risk tolerance, therefore has higher allocations to stocks or higher risk investments inside of their portfolio, wouldn't it be likely that their volatility or their range of returns, therefore their the drift in their portfolios would be much higher? So would in a situation where somebody has a higher risk portfolio, a higher risk asset allocation, would you increase that band? Meaning, would that be a, a, a place where you would put maybe a 10 or 15% range opposed to a five? Yes, pure and simple, right? So you, you wanna have the riskier bands have a higher drift range. Now we saw from our former firm that we worked at together, there was a heck of a lot of trading going on in the portfolios because that drift range was ever present. It wasn't, you know, quarterly, monthly, or annually. Once that got out of range, then you're talking a whole separate issue, right? Where where rebalancing can cost you, right? If you if you have to sell a stock that you made fifty percent on because you're rebalancing, well. You might want to take a second look at that and, you know, incurring those capital gains. What are the long-term prospects for that stock? Hey, maybe instead of selling that, selling the stock and buying a bond just to put your portfolio into balance, maybe you add more money to the portfolio and just put it into the bonds, right? Taxable yeah. considerations, right? Tax, taxes are always a consideration. And I think that is, you and I talk about this a lot, the issue we have with these algorithmic or computer-driven rebalancing tools that do not take into consideration any one specific person's or investor's financial plan. And you get this, you know, you get this triggering event that would have happened last March that could have happened in, in this, this run that we've seen here over the last 18 mm -hmm. months. And now you're creating either capital gains, capital losses, potentially a combination of both, where this is all going to be reportable on your tax returns, right? Uh, assuming a taxable account. And those costs, right? Those real costs, transaction costs and the cost of taxes will actually detract from your overall performance and returns. Opposed to, let's say you, you had slightly lower performance in that Vanguard study you alluded to, uh, actually pr proved this over a period of, of uh, 80 years. And it showed that there was no meaningful difference between rebalancing monthly, quarterly, daily, or annually. So if we do take that annual approach, but you can save on transaction costs and be more tax efficient, you're actually going to create more value long-term in a portfolio than if you were monitoring and trading, which is why I, I just, I really do have a problem with those auto trigger rebalancing tools where you don't have somebody taking control, whether it's yourself or, or a professional that you have doing this for you, 
to take into account the things that are going to matter specifically for you inside of a plan that's beyond just the asset allocation, which is one very small element of what you should consider in making those financial decisions. Yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. I mean, the 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 passive triggers, uh, I think, just just don't do it for you, right? And and we'll get into well, let's get it. Let's get into now retirement rebalancing, right? So the principles at play are similar to any type of portfolio rebalancing, but there's a particular set of considerations for age. So generally, retirement accounts rebalance over time, not just to a target allocation for a given year, but a changing allocation to become more conservative as the investor gets closer to retirement. You might have uh, target date funds in your 401k, or you've heard of these before, or you know, uh, there's other names for them, but usually it says you know retirement date, and the, you pick the date, the year in which you want to retire, and that's how they name the fund. And then they work by just rebalancing over time from stocks to bonds as the fund holders get close to retirement. So I'm going to use for this an example, um, not of a retirement account, of 529 plans. So college savings accounts uh, or 529 plans, I use almost exclusively uh, age-based portfolios. So what this says to the client is, hey, you know, Mr. Jones, you have a child that was just born. They are going to have 95% stocks and 5% bonds in their portfolio. Every year on their birthday, that allocation is going to change because they're getting closer to the age at which they're going to use the money, right? So when they're 10 years old, it's going to be 50% stocks and 50% bonds. When they're 18 years old, it's going to be 95% bonds, more conservative, and 5% stocks because they're going to take this money out and use it next year. So they can't, they don't have the time frame for that volatility. Same holds true, right? for a retirement account. A 30-year-old might have 90% in stocks, 10% in bonds, whereas a 70-year-old might have the opposite. I, I think about this, so so we, we've discussed a couple of things today as it relates to rebalancing. First, we, we balance a portfolio. We figure out our ideal risk level and mix of, of investments, right? Generally stocks and bonds. And then we have these triggers, right? Whether it's a set periodic time frame or some sort of percentage allocation drift in which we look to rebalance our portfolio. Now what we're talking about is, hey, by the way, not only will your investments change and demand rebalancing, but you, the investor, will change and demand rebalancing, meaning that maybe your portfolio is still that original 70-30, but you're five years older and you're five years closer to your goal, and you're not a 70-30 type of investor anymore, now you're a 60-40. You've become more conservative. And I think you used a great example, right? Retirement and education planning are two very easy examples to look at because there are, are typically speaking, very set dates on that, right? Most right. Americans will retire, give or take around 65. Most children going to higher education when you're doing college planning, you're going to go around their 17th, 18th, 19th birthday. So we, there's some time frame set around that and specific use for the funds. But this may also be true in any of your investment accounts because your preferences may change. Maybe you're a single person who 
is now married and has children. Maybe that has demanded you to rethink about the type of risk you want to take in your portfolio. Maybe you are transitioning to to retirement. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're moving out of state or changing jobs or all of these different life events may cause you to stop and pause and think about the type of risk that you want to or need to take inside of your investments, which could trigger a rebalancing event. I always tell people there are two reasons you want to you want to mess with your portfolio. If something fundamentally changes with the investment or if something fundamentally changes with the investor. And right. if one of those those statements is true, then yes, let's take a deeper look into to your investments. Otherwise, allow your investments to do what your investments will do, which is, you know, to grow over time. Yeah, and and Andrew, I'm just going to, you know, my final thought on that is segueing what you just said to what I was talking about before about quarterly and annually. I really do believe for another reason that annual reviews are better than quarterly. And that reason is a quarterly review gives you the propensity to move the goalpost, right? So when you say on January 1st, hey, I'm not going to look at this for three months. I'm going to have a 70-30 split. And then you see that 70 run ups, the 70% in stocks runs up to 80%. You, you go, oh, that was nice. Um, maybe I need an 80 20. Maybe I'm going to change my allocation, right? Because you don't want to, you got FOMO again, right? You, right. You're, you're missing out. So I, I, I urge people, you know, not to make those too frequent, make balancing too frequent. I like, not, that not, that not, is a not, great topic for a future episode. We are going to dive into the topic of risk. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I love it. Nice. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, for another episode of Dollars and Sensibility. So our goal here is to always inform, to educate, and inspire taking action towards financial freedom. Listen, if you found today's episode to be helpful, share it with a friend share it with a neighbor, maybe share it with your financial advisor who needs to hear this and always make sure to tune in every single Friday, wherever you get your podcast from for a new episode of Dollars and Sensibility. Until next time, I'm Andrew Martz and Bill McBride. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.